0: Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu.
1: Welcome everybody to this new episode of FEPS Talk. I'm David Rinaldi, Director of Studies and Policy at FEPS, the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And you are listening now to our weekly podcast. This week we are extremely glad to have with us Michaela Kauer that is uh, not only the director of the Brussels Liaison Office of the City of Vienna, but also the co-coordinator of the EU Urban Agenda Housing Partnership. And of course, with her, we would like to focus a lot on housing policy and also on what the EU can do on this topic to improve uh, a housing policy at regional and national level. Michaela, uh, happy to have you here with us.
0: Good to be here with you today.
1: The very first question that I would like uh, to ask you relates on how our perception on the relevance of housing and the quality of our homes changed in the recent months because I think that the covid has uh, substantially impacted the, the way in which people look and uh, leave their homes uh, but also the way in which public authorities understand the relevance of this so how do you see this uh, you know this pandemic changing and impacting the approach to housing policy
0: yeah that's i think that's a very important uh, question indeed and i think that when it comes to housing and the corona pandemic we have seen A total change in the function of homes in the past year, I must say, nearly now. And the change was about before a home of different qualities, we'll come to that I hope also later, a home is a place where you relax, where you learn a bit with your kids after school, where you, you know... Uh, Do a lot of work when you are the woman, do less when you are the man, uh, these kind of things. So the home was like not overloaded with functions as is now. Now a home is a place where you work, obviously, where you have to teach your children and also where you have all the other functions that you had before. So that changed radically. The other thing that we saw that due to confinement, obviously the neighborhood of a home Has also received a new, I would say, importance. Because when you are on the countryside and obviously there you have a lot of green space and free space, it's quite easy to get out and have fresh air and, you know, move a bit around. When you are in a densely built city and you are far away from all the green spaces, then also this is becoming a challenge. So we've seen a change not only in the functionality of homes in themselves, but also when it comes to the neighbourhood around this home. So that's one very first answer to your question, I would say. On a more general level, obviously, we will see that as housing systems differ a lot across Europe, across its cities and regions, and we see that there are quite stable and safe and secure systems in housing, in models, and there are also more fragile systems, And the corona pandemic has clearly also shown us the fragility of such system. They have been put very much under pressure. The more precarious, I would say, the housing solution in a given system is, the more also people came under pressure. This is why, and coming to the last part of your question, a lot of cities and regions and even countries have made very, very strong interventions in the housing markets when it comes to protect people in their homes. We have seen a ban on evictions in many cities. We have seen more aid to subsidize rents, or we have seen moratorium on rents. We have seen a lot of activities of cities, not only in the In I would say in the housing itself, but also when it comes to rent places for our business. So there has been a lot of protection and a lot of intervention. And I would say that coming from Vienna, a city with a very safe and stable and secure system, those who have the most of this uh, security, they are the best when it comes to a crisis.
1: Indeed. So basically, my follow-up question would be on this exactly on the link between uh, the current crisis housing. And inequality, if you want, because already before the crisis, we could observe quite a big polarization in some of our cities with the better off living in areas where there is maybe more green space. Pollution is maybe less of a problem. Transports are maybe better organized. There's also better schooling or better other type of services and somehow other uh, parts of the population in more, if you want, segregated or poorer neighborhood So has this process been accelerated by the COVID or the measures that you have just mentioned are going actually in the direction or fighting this polarization? Where do we stand in this fight against uh, inequalities in housing?
0: Well, I must say that the inequalities in housing have been aggravated since many years and key factors have been, I would say, the growing financialization of the housing markets, a lot of institutional investment on a short-term profit uh, margin, a lot of touristification and a lot of gentrification. And not all is homemade. A lot of these things are global developments. When it comes to inequalities also versus systems where you have little of this. Uh, We have seen that cities with a big amount of owner-occupied homes, especially, for instance, in southern countries or eastern countries of Europe, there, the precarity of uh, paying back your mortgage has come really to the light of things due to Corona. And uh, people could not pay back their rents, but also people could not pay back the mortgage. So. We've seen the precarity increase, and that means that those who are already bad off in the beginning, like 10 years ago, poor families, overcrowded housing, unhealthy housing, housing in bad energy efficiency conditions, these kind of things have clearly been aggravated by the crisis. One aspect of inequality I must mention, and that is the gender-related aspect. Very often we have seen that the corona pandemic and the confinement rules have indeed aggravated situations where you were already a victim of domestic male violence at home as a woman. So here, Protective measures again of cities and local authorities have been key to protect women from this very very difficult situations and i think that uh, the precarity of women when they are depending on a male companion that is who is really threatening her and her children with physical or other vile forms of violence that is really an issue we have to look into much which but more concern
1: after this pandemic than before. Indeed. This comes, uh, in these last comments of yours somehow try to already portrait a situation in which we really are looking at common challenges across Europe. You mentioned touristification, precarity, energy, energy efficiency, and the need to renovate buildings and uh, the quality of uh, Europeans' homes. What are these common challenges that Europe should take on as uh, you know, a concrete European mission and without leaving it only to national or local authorities. You are also representative of one of the European capitals. So I, I think you clearly understand the, the logic of being able to design these type of policies at the local level. Uh, the subsidiarity principle, but you are the person actually uh, that can tell us what, on top of the role of the local and regional national authorities, what Europe should do, which aspects of these common challenges should be a priorities for the European Union and European institutions.
0: Your question is a tricky one, David, because we all know that Europe does not have a competence in housing. This is in... A clear competence of the member states and very often it is up to the local and regional authorities to deal with the topic. However, we know that the European Union policies have a heavy impact on the ability of local authorities to steer and manage and organize their housing policies back home. So uh, one of the aspects I think is key where the EU can really deliver better than up to now is the question of deblocking investment potential. One of the main reasons because why we do have such a deep housing crisis across Europe is indeed that we have seen A massive decline in investment in social and affordable and public housing in the past decade. And the amount we are talking about, when we just look back 2008, 2009, when this all really started heavily, we are talking about more than 600 billion euros in total that we are lacking in investment in social, public, and affordable housing across Europe. We have seen housing construction going on, but that was very often on the, I would say, high-end and luxury real estate part of the spectrum. It was not where normal middle-class families were looking for a home, clearly. And that a lot of people now in Europe, and obviously it's clear that the lower your income, the bigger the share you have to pay for housing, but that the housing crisis has now reached the middle class is something that should be really alarming. To all of us. That means that this investment issue that I've been mentioning here, there is really a lot to do. What the, you can do is on several fields. One is clearly the revision of the uh, state aid rules with regard to housing, because we have seen that state aid rules currently like, allow for public investment in social housing only on the grounds that it's for the vulnerable groups of society. And here we need to really have a change in the whole mindset, I would say. The mindset is housing for all. That means we have to provide for a lot of people, affordable safe and healthy and energy-efficient and climate-friendly housing. But that means a much bigger effort. And that means that we need to have state aid rules that allow local authorities, especially, to do that. That's one aspect. Another aspect would be the whole issue of how the EU, in the process of the European semester, does see investment. Investment in technical and social infrastructure, at the moment is not as easy as one would think because it's still seen as a part of the debt you create in a public budget. So what we need really is to have a golden rule for public investments when it comes to housing. That would be really, really useful. So deblocking investment is on several aspects, but I would say state aid and European semester rules are, I would say, key to all of this when we talk about EU uh, contribution to better housing in Europe?
1: In the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, we have basically, Europe has put basically on hold both the fiscal rules and the stated rules. So maybe there is a chance of reforming these two big dossiers and two big babies that the European Union has in order to make them more investment friendly, if you want, on this very crucial aspect. Um, Can I just add to that? Because
0: when we talk about the economic side of housing, very very often we forget that it's always a whole package, you know, a whole bouquet, I would say a whole basket of different elements we, we need. And what we really forget is that we have obviously, we have the investment capacity on the side of the rules framework conditions like, you know, state aid or European semester, that's one. We have European money in this. We have EIB financing in this. We have local and regional and national funds to do that. What we Very often we forget that there is one element or one actor that is really paying all the time. And that's the ones who are living in those homes in the end. So that's the people who rent or buy for Uh, owner-occupied purposes. And I think that when we open up a little bit the scope and the the perception, we will also see a very strong argument for participatory approaches in housing financing and in housing management systems. So I, I would like to really make the point that a lot of times we talk about the money is coming from, I don't know where, but it's in fact, it's taxpayers' money on the one side, but it's also the money who use the home in the end, who pay for it. And I think that's important to mention.
1: And uh, still on the issue of money, uh, I like to underline that what you're asking is not necessarily only European financing, but uh, European rules that allow financing to emerge at different level of government. So uh, I know that now, for instance, we have the renovation wave that perhaps put some uh, European money. And I, I hope that uh, part of the next generation EU will also be used by member states in different recovery plans to address the issue of uh, of housing. But it is with the rules somehow that we can allow for more investment. But uh, the question is, what besides public-led investment. What is the role of other actors involving in the housing market, if you want, from one side, the private sector that can lead other type of investment, but also the third sector? Because we have seen a lot of uh, development from the side of cooperatives, uh, NGOs, associations that are providing responses valid in some cases. So how do you see the public sector at local or at the European level incentivizing these two type of responses, the private and the third sector? Can they respond to the needs of making housing for all more affordable and of higher quality?
0: Yes. And I think this is also where we do see a very rich diversity of traditions and systems across European cities and regions. We do know that in Europe, a lot of cities, and together with housing associations, uh, cooperatives, however you name them, do really struggle to create livable neighborhoods. Because it's not only about one house, one home, one, you know, walls with a roof on top of it. But it's about neighbourhoods. It, it's about living places. So we see a lot of potential when, when we look across Europe, for instance, in uh, creative financing instruments. I mean, that sounds a bit weird, maybe creative finances, and you're immediately in a, a certain... Some people might have a certain ideas about it. But think of revolving funds where you have... Uh, this is something which the cooperative model very often use in in their own management. And very often it's also... Uh, Something where the law sets clear rules that as a cooperative that provides housing for for people, you are allowed, obviously, to take a little bit of the rent people are paying for making a small profit, but you are not allowed to use that profit for anything. You have to reinvest it in either the maintenance or the, you know, refurbishment of a building or in the creation of new affordable and cooperative housing. So, Thinking of new instruments might be useful. And very often what we do forget is a house, especially when I talk about social, public and affordable housing, we are talking about decades of the life cycle of a building. And we can also, we should also try to build long term, stable financing systems around housing because it should, you know, follow the same quality in the way we finance it. and. Trying to maintain a building over the, I would say, lifetime of 30, 50 years is something completely different than when you look at the private investors who are coming to our cities, who are literally buying all of it and trying to living after a few years because they've done their profit. So this is not interesting. What we need, in fact, is long-term stable partners in financing housing investment and especially in housing maintenance. so here we can we can have lots of more models and we know that they are around there in Europe and I would see that for instance the EU could play an important role when it comes to knowledge sharing about these kind of things when it comes to capacity building in countries where for instance they have in in many Eastern countries and cities, they have completely lost the ability to build such sustainable housing systems because after the fall of the, you know, Iron Curtain, they they sold off everything. And that led to a situation where in some of the city administrations, they don't even have the knowledge how to do it anymore. So here we have a clear role also for EU agencies especially also EIB to help cities and local governments to regain that expertise and capacity to do things
1: this is extremely interesting also because you have uh, you know you you are identifying uh, clear policies and clear and clear solutions so i would like to even ask you to dig a little bit more on this because uh, you have been coordinating the work of the EU Housing Partnership for the for the urban agenda. So perhaps on top of what you have just uh, described, for instance, the revolving funds, you have other interesting lesson learns or takeaways uh, that we can spread with uh, other progressive uh, listeners that I'm sure uh, are with us in this in this very moment. So what have you learned from? Uh, Good initiatives that you've seen on the ground at local level.
0: I've seen so many. I don't know where to start. Indeed, I will not do the mistake to start with Vienna because that will make everybody jealous and sad. I do not do that now. Okay, thank you. Um, but I want to mention one project I've seen in, for instance, Lisbon. In Lisbon, there is the Boavista neighborhood, which is a very deprived neighborhood and which is a very pro- has been a long time a very Poor and uh, disconnected also neighborhood because it's like cut off from the city center, not really connected to other parts of the city. And a lot of migrants from Africa, from the former colonies came there and they start building their little huts of their own. And it was like a little bit illegal in the beginning and they legalized it. And but the houses were very small and very poor conditions. And they did an interesting project there because they really managed to gather with the community to build new houses, invite people to be part of that process, those who were living there, and move them from their old and very bad little, I would say, I've seen them, that were really huts. And I think it was only the color and some will that, hold, that were, was holding them together. And the, the huts were like torn away and people were moved to the new nice houses which were, you know, also interesting that the new houses were flexible in in their whole arrangement. So you could add a room or, you know, you could really play around with, with, with the way they were organized. And I think this is a very good project because also it created jobs for people. They did a whole neighborhood uh, program, I think projects like these are inspiring also to others and i think that this is uh something we can learn is there is such a diversity of experiences across europe that there is no there cannot be one i would say template like now with the renovation wave or with the affordable housing initiative that's coming up we don't know a lot about it but what we would wish to is that it will be more adaptable to all these different situations we have across Europe on the ground. So, I mean, I can t- talk about many, many projects. And for instance, I love the the old, uh, the Scottish housing policy, which is set up at the moment because they are now really going away from the old right-to-buy system because it proved socially and economically and also environmentally to be not really working and bringing it back to under the control of the city and the authorities together with the, with the tenants and the former owners, but stop selling your housing stock. That's one of the main lessons we've seen because what we have also seen, for instance, in, in places like uh, Bratislava, this is, you know, the capital that is closest to my hometown, to Vienna. And uh, There, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, as I said, they they sold off all the flats to the former tenants, but they didn't provide for any reserves for maintenance and refurbishment and whatever. So there, again, you have a lot of building blocks in eastern countries where you can't do anything because the strict state aid rules, again... Prevent that people, you know, get money directly because it could create an economic competition. I would say situation that is not, you know, wished. But it could help, for instance, on to put on on such a housing model or a housing project. We could install a, I would say, cooperative management structure, and then help them with some money to reorganize and refurbish their buildings without touching, you know, the ownership structure, because that is, of course, not possible anymore. But I think that we can really introduce parts of models we've seen in other places to places where in need, and that could be very inspiring for each other again here. We need platforms on European level where this kind of exchange is possible.
1: So I understand that there's still a lot to do. But most importantly, uh, it makes me understand the relevance of, of the previous point you made uh, of understanding the change in paradigm. So somehow of the, of a public sector that should not only provide decent housing to the vulnerables, but mm-hmm. should provide decent, decent housing, full stop, for all voilà. In the I know, for instance, that the European of the European pillar of social rights. As such, it mentioned as a right to be protected by European Union uh, actions, uh, housing for the vulnerables. How can we move to this new objective of housing, housing for all? The the progressives in the past have campaigned for a a European deal for housing. Is it something we should, uh, you know, bring forward again, uh, bring up at the next social summit? How to spice up the discussion in this, in in this domain to make people understand that if Europe is really serious on delivering on well-being and uh, standards of living, I think these are two objectives uh, that that are enshrined in the the treaties uh, and the treaty on the function of the European Union. Than housing, it might not be a primary objective of the the European Union actions, but it is uh, necessary to deliver on quality of living and and well-being of the people because we spend so much time in our houses and our neighbors. So is the European deal for housing a a nice framework that we should push on and in case what should be put there? Or do you see already that the Commission affordable housing initiative is going somehow in the right in in the right direction we can work on that framework
0: there's now there's several questions in your question if i'm not mistaken but i think that coming to the european pillar of social rights and principle i think 19 it is here i would love to see a broader approach i must honestly say we've managed in with the, with the pillar to already leave the, I would say, very paternalistic approach of helping only very vulnerable groups and combating homelessness, which is obviously something we must do. But we have to discuss the way which is best to do it. And if you, for instance, know that in Europe, most of the people living in Europe in housing are not tenants, but are home-occupied housing users, uh, flats owners. There, And then we know that in cities, this is completely vice versa, because in cities, typically you would have tenants and rental contracts rather than uh, home ownership. So we will see that where we have the strongest and more most problematic situations, we will also always have the heaviest pressure on the social housing sector. Me, what do I mean now? I think that if you have a private sector and a public sector in the broadest sense, you have to ask everybody to contribute to help vulnerable and poor and homeless people, not only the social sector. Because when you look at cities where they don't even have any social housing or very little, I mean, Athens has 440 four public social flats. Athens, the capital of Greece. Four, zero. Fini. So you understand my point? If all the homeless people in Athens now are starting to struggle about these 40 flats, that will not help them. What we need is systems where we also ask the private sector to take responsibility for common well-being, as you said, in our whole society. And that's part of the issue. What we, I mean, I have to mention Vienna now because in Vienna, clearly we cooperate with the private sector, but we also say, okay, you benefit from a lot of things that the city is doing technical infrastructure, metro lines, super public transport, everything. You benefit from this. So we want to have something back from you. And that is, for instance, when we uh, give money for a renovation of a private house with multi-apartment, we also say, okay, the condition is that you will take some, pot, someone from our waiting list uh, for social housing. So we can really start to think differently. And we must also ask the private sector to contribute. That's my point. And the other aspect is when we talk about common well-being, I think this it's really good that you mentioned that because uh, the new Leipzig Charter, this is the new key document we do have when it comes to urban policy on European level. It says exactly that. It talks about urban development has to contribute to common well-being, but that involves activities and commitments from all stakeholders. And that's not only the public authority, that's not only the local administration, but that's obviously also the private sector. And here we have to, I think, restart a little bit the whole conversation. When it comes to housing, I would say a European deal for housing is fine. I would just go for even bigger. I would go for, why do we not set up a European cooperative for housing? Because we could set up such an organization together with the, you know, all the stakeholders and say, okay, Where we have the knowledge, we take the knowledge and the expertise. And where we need the knowledge, we put the knowledge and the expertise. And we start building cooperative and public housing models all over Europe with the help of, for instance, one big organization, which is, you know, it could be a renaissance of the cooperative movement in a way that I'm dreaming of.
1: European cooperative for housing i like that and i hope you can bring forward this uh proposal uh, i'll come back to you michaela in a second for uh, maybe a 30 second of closing in which i would like you to give us you know the final advice one for let's say european policymakers and one for uh, uh, local policymakers mm-hmm. uh on the topic, uh, on the broad topic of housing because as we have learned housing has uh, a lot of interdisciplinary consequences and while you prepare on this last uh, 30 seconds I would like to uh, remind to our uh, audience uh, and those who have the patience and the interest to follow uh, to follow the FAB talks, that if you want to hear more on this topic of uh, affordable housing, social housing, uh, inclusiveness in housing policy, or the renovation wave, you can uh, search for the video conference uh, on uh, of the Housing Week that the. Party of European Socialists uh, at the Committee of the Regions is organizing in partnership with FEPS, with the, with the City of Vienna, and with the s d Group, as well as you can have a look at the publications that FEPS and Partners uh, uh, is launching on concrete actions for social and affordable housing in the EU. You can find all the details on FEPS' website. And to conclude this uh, podcast, uh, Michaela, Your uh, two cents, if you want, big recommendations for the European policymakers and for local policymakers. Be bold.
0: I'm very bold, so no problem. Let's take housing as a right seriously. Let's stop everything that takes housing as a commodity. And that means let's stop money laundering, let's stop financialization let's stop illegal touristic use of housing and let's empower cities to help their citizens to grow together in a participatory approach in their cities and to make them livable places.
1: Thanks a lot, Michaela. Thanks everybody. Enjoy your homes. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag Babs talks more is yet to come stay tuned